Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this evening. We pray that you will guide and direct us as we look into your word and that you will use your word to stir us, to motivate us, Lord, to love and good deeds. We just tell you we love you and we give you our life afresh as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one of the things that when I teach goal setting, I say uh, regularly, and it's not original with me, I actually read it from Larry Crabb, and uh, that is that everything we do without exception is motivated by a goal that we're pursuing. Now, we may not call them goals, but that's what they are. Uh, In other words, we do everything for a reason. We don't do anything just for random. It's always something that's motivating us to do everything that we do without exception. The problem with most of us is that we don't know what that is, the reason, the motivation for what we do. And uh, our minds can be programmed, as it were, by the world. And so what the world has as uh, goals, desires, wants become ours. And that then begins to be what drives us, motivates us, And so it's the quality of our motivation, the purity of our motivation, the godliness of our motivation that uh, dictates really the quality of our life. And so one of the things I've said often before is that we can do all the right things for the wrong reasons and not even know it. And so our motivations are critically important, discovering what they are, controlling what they are, establishing what they are, if we want to live our life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and continually growing. So uh, Romans uh, says, be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing simply basically means the brainwashing or changing. And so we change our mind, how we think, and then we're transformed because we are what we think about. Proverbs says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So we don't like to think, our flesh doesn't like to think very far in the future but it's those who think a long ways in the future who are the best able to control their motives and to keep their life in a straight line, as it were, instead of in a circle. And uh, the the, uh, farthest goal that you can set has to do with when you get into eternity, obviously. You don't know when that's going to be, but you can set a goal to lose 20 pounds in a week. Uh, That would probably be beyond most of us. Uh, to do it in a week. Maybe you could do it in a year. Maybe you could set a goal to lose 20 pounds in 20 years. So our motives are intended to motivate us. And uh, some people are highly motivated. Some people can hardly get out of bed. Their motivation is so uh, dull, dead, apathetic, lukewarm. And so if you want to start your own engine, as it were, and ramp up your motivation, your passion, your zeal, your enthusiasm, you have to learn how to set goals that motivate you. Choose to pursue things that are highly motivational. Uh, I can do that for you. I could say, uh, next week, if you're on time, the reward is $1,000. Now, you're not taking me serious when I say that, but... If it were true, and if I had it and could show it to you and say, it's absolutely true, I swear it, if you're on time next week, you get $1,000. So 
So what would you be next week on Wednesday about 5 o'clock? You'd be highly motivated. And what would be motivating you would be the uh, $1,000. So our motivation is strong, weak, really almost non-existent on the basis of what it is that we're focused on wanting and pursuing. So the average individual's motivation is fairly bland. It's sort of, let's just get through the day with minimal problems. So that's not much motivation. You can't control it, and so you don't really have much drive or passion. And so learning how to set your mind on the things in the future that are uh, incredible is what motivates you, and nothing will motivate you as much as thinking about the judgment seat of Christ and doing it in such a way that it begins to be real in your own thinking. The average Christian, the judgment seat of Christ is sort of like Peter Pan or some other fairy tale. Uh, We give lip service to it. We acknowledge the reality of it if we've heard it taught, but we really don't think about it much. We don't really focus on it much. We don't meditate on it much, and therefore it's not that real in our thinking. But those who become... uh, very focused on that event, the day I stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of my life and I'm rewarded, recompensed, uh, for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad, and also experience the consequences of the things which I've done wrong, uh, and imagine what those might be. You could just sit down and cup of coffee and just Visualize, meditate, think about what those rewards would be. They're obviously significant because they're given to us in Scripture as something intended to motivate us a great deal. So the admonition of Paul is set your mind on the things above rather than on the things of this earth. That is, set your mind on the future as far as rewards go, goals go, instead of the things that are in this life. And uh, there's very few people who do it, uh, seriously. Uh, have most of their motivation for living and choosing what they do. The money they give, the time, the way they spend their time, their investment, uh, it's fairly close. So the average individual is motivated by being happy. I am happy when I go fishing. Therefore, I will go fishing. That's kind of the extent of the average individual's drive in life. I'm happy when... Uh, I get to sleep in on Saturday mornings, so I'm going to sleep in on Saturday mornings. I'm happy if this, if that, if the other thing, and therefore we begin, and so the the, uh, carrot, so to speak, is not very far out in front of us, and most of the time we have very little control over that carrot that we're thinking would bring joy and happiness into our life. And so the Apostle Paul said, and Peter as well, said, All the trials of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will receive on that day. The glory. And so when you talk about what brings joy or happiness into our life, nothing brings joy or happiness into our life as much as glory does. We are created by God for glory. We're designed for it. We crave it. And in fact, most of the things that bring us happiness are things that bring a sense of uh, worth, value, accomplishment, which is glory and at the judgment seat of christ jesus is going to give us glory 
Some will receive great glory. Some will receive no glory. Paul said, as star differs from star in the heavens in brightness, so we will differ in glory uh, as a result of the judgment seat of Christ. And so those who think, 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 ponder, ponder, meditate, study, memorize verses, and set their mind on the things above and the glory that they will receive at the judgment seat of Christ, and they do that to the point that it actually becomes uh, the main motivation of their life. Those individuals become highly motivated, and it's consistent. It is not up and down. Uh, they become passionate for serving the Lord. They're willing to give up things, sacrifice things that most people won't because they got their mind set on the future, uh, the day that uh, Christ will give us uh, those rewards. So the book of Hebrews doesn't make a lot of sense to, unless you understand that the writer is motivating the audience that he's writing to to stay faithful. Don't drift away, don't fall away, don't turn away, which most were doing because of the persecution of uh, Nero and also for these Jewish Christians, the persecution they were experiencing from the Jews that, themselves. And so he's trying to motivate them. And so he says the key chapter, I'll remind you of Romans, uh, Hebrews 12, run the race with endurance that's set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. That isn't what he did, but where he is. And, uh, and so it's anticipating that future day when we would stand before him and receive glory from him. Let me read to you Hebrews 4 again. We, we hit it last week, and, I'll, and then we'll move on to the rest of your blanks in your sheet there. Therefore, let us fear. Let us fear. And uh, there's a number of verses in the New Testament where fear is intended to be a motivation. So uh, some people fear small spaces. Some people fear dark. Some people fear high places. I don't particularly like hospitals. And uh, it's not the hospital so bad. It's the, the floor that... Uh, when I faint. And uh, so that creates a nervousness about uh, what's going to happen in a particular location. Therefore, let us fear. And there's always a source of fear. If while a promise remains of entering his rest, and his rest is a key part of the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a major part of the reward of the judgment seat of Christ. It, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, did not profit them, didn't bring reward into their life, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he quotes that verse from the Father, speaking of the nation of Israel in the wilderness, headed for the promised land. And only two of them entered into the promised land, that rest, that was Joshua and Caleb. The rest did not. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. So some enter, some don't. The ones who don't, 
failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So the promised land for the nation of Israel wasn't, isn't what he's talking about. He says if that had been, Joshua wouldn't have talk, spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For me, for you, out there in the future, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent, diligent, that means work hard to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And so the rest is not getting into heaven, otherwise heaven would be obviously an issue of diligence and hard work. Um, works follow salvation they don't bring salvation it's clear there in that passage that diligence is the source of the rest it's the reason for the rest it's the reason it's given to you number 13 there are two classes of people who are excluded from the kingdom and that's uh, the rest those who are genuine born again believers and, and spiritually lost people those who are sent to the lake of fire for all eternity <clears throat> so we'll set aside the, the lost people for now. I'm assuming that none of you are in that camp and uh, you have family that are, but we're, we'll talk about believers. And the book of Hebrews is uh, written primarily to those who have tasted the good word of God, uh, have uh, been filled with the Spirit, tasted the power of the word of God, the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. And then the consequence that he brings, uh, talks about, they will experience. Some would read that, and it looks really kind of like you could lose your salvation, but he's not talking about our eternal state. He's talking about that day we are rewarded. Now, the kingdom lasts for a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years compared with eternity is like a day in my lifetime. It's not very long. But a 1,000 years compared to what we live now is a long time. But that's the kingdom period. So the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to give an accounting of my life. I'm going to be recompensed, rewarded for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. There will be consequences that come into my life for the things that I've done. uh, Now, the key thing to remember on the judgment seat of Christ is the issue is not uh, your cussing. Any of you cuss? The issue is not your drunkenness. The issue is not your anger. The issue is your fruit or the lack of it. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And so when we talk about the consequences, it's not that you've been a bad person. It's that you've been a lazy person in regards to Christ or a distracted person. Um, Paul tells Timothy, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You get entangled in the affairs of everyday life. It's not sin, but it is going to keep you from doing anything with your life that matters. When we talk about matters, it's that that will show up at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, 
everything we've done will be tested with fire. And if what we've done remains, the gold, the silver, the precious treasure, then we will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, we'll suffer a loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, burned up doesn't mean it's uh, sinful. It just means that it's not eternal, has no worth or value in, from an eternal perspective. So I mow my lawn and I build a boat and I go fishing and I go hunting and I repair my car. Life is full of stuff and you can't get away from all of it. But the goal is to simplify our life and, and from the world, as it were, not to become entangled in the affairs of everyday life and invest our life for Christ so that we can stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded because of the volume of fruit that we have. In, first, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who bears fruit, the Father will prune him so he can bear more fruit. Uh, prunes him probably means convince you to sell a boat if you've got five boats. I've only got three boats, so I'm okay. Jim, you got five boats. Yeah, okay. So he's going to prune so you can bear more fruit. So the issue at the judgment seat of Christ is not our sin. The issue is our fruit or the lack of it. So one had five talents, one had two talents, one had one talent. The one with five earned five more. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. One with two earned two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one with one buried it in the ground, and Jesus words him, you wicked, lazy slave. You did nothing with what I gave you. you. You did nothing with the gifts I gave you. You did nothing with the opportunities I gave you. You gave, did nothing with the talents I gave you, the resources I gave you. Um, so the consequence comes from no fruit bearing as opposed to fruit bearing. And so we're going to stand before him and we're going to be rewarded. And a significant reward of all the rewards that we receive is that we're going to be with him. We're going to be with him as opposed to away from him. And there will be those who for a thousand years are away from Christ. Now, we don't know the details of that, where that is, how far it is, but it is uh, away from him in the sense that there's a regret in the life of those who um, don't receive the reward of being near Christ during that time. The way Revelations words it is that you get to sit at my right hand. You get to sit on a throne with me, even as I am sitting in a throne at the right hand of the Father. In John 14, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's not a general blanket, a blanket statement for all believers. It's for those who are rewarded with that reward of being with Jesus during the millennial reign of Christ. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to jump ahead. Uh, I read that, uh, Dwayne, to... Uh, Number 15 in your notes. Many don't like this aspect of the kingdom. That is that you might not be in it. They like the view that 
believers are in the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so the promise that we have is eternal life. Eternal life goes forever and ever and ever. The kingdom is not eternal life. It's a thousand years. Though it is with Christ and it is on the earth, it's before the new heavens and the new earth. And so the earth during the kingdom period will be very much like it is now. Uh, the sun will go up, the sun will go down. Uh, there'll be rain. I don't know uh, whether it's going to rain in the new Jerusalem where Jesus is and how sunny it'll be, but much of what we have now will be then. The only difference will be there'll be no devil, no demons, and no curse. And so that's a significant difference. Uh, yeah, no curse. That means no mosquitoes, no weeds. Um, number 16, and I think this is where we left off last week. One of the very clear doctrines of the church is the judgment seat of Christ that every believer will experience after death. So those who set their mind on this and think about this will be motivated believers. And I, every morning, I declare to God today, I will live my life as as if it's the last before I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and I'm rewarded, recompensed for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. I do that every single morning without fail. I will live today as if it's my last. If this is the last chance I have to earn rewards before I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if I told you this last week or if it was Sunday, they kind of run together, but I didn't hear a single word of teaching on the judgment seat of Christ all of my years growing up. I never missed church. I went to summer camp, vacation Bible school. I went to uh, Christian college. I w was 40 years old before I heard the very first teaching I ever heard on the judgment seat of Christ. It was over here in Corbin, Earl Rodmacher. And Bruce Wilkinson did a seminar along with Yosef Sohn, a pastor from Russia, uh, Soviet Union at the time. And they taught a four-day seminar. I sat there thinking to myself, if I had heard this when I was 16 years old, I would be a different person today. Because instead of being motivated by cars and money and cows and farms, I would have been motivated and driven by the day I stand before Christ. Forty years I've lived my life with motivations I can see. And I sat there and listened to the seminar, and I got angry, but I didn't know how to, who to get angry at. I just thought, nobody ever told me. Nobody ever taught me. And as we went through the seminar, there was verse after verse after verse. And I thought, I've read those verses dozens of times, but they never really sunk in. They didn't make sense. They didn't click. I never, ever thought about anything other than I die and go to heaven. And then I get my harp and my cloud and whatever. There was a pretty vague uh, view of heaven. Uh, I didn't have a clue what it was about or the judgment seat of Christ. Number 17, the difficult part of the judgment seat of Christ is what is the punishment or the consequence? So judgment is judgment. Judgment assumes justice or fairness One of the uh, conditions of the church today is that we have a, 
uh, one fellow I listened to said, we, uh, grace has gone to seed. That is, nothing we do matters. I'm saved going to heaven, so now I'm just treading water. Good, bad, in between, it's no big deal. So there's really no motivation to pursue uh, fruit bearing, to do something that will result in things if it costs much energy, takes much time, much sacrifice. Why do it? Other than the, just the sense of, of uh, accomplishment or the sense of joy that you would receive from it. Jim, James Elliott was highly motivated by the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, he gave his life, sacrificed his life. And his motto was, he is no fool to give up in this life what he can't keep to gain in the next what he can't lose. And so that becomes someone that is very, very motivated, focused on the future, the day of the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's me. All, that's everyone. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, recompensed, rewarded, paid for his deeds, his work in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Recompense, that's if you get a job and they say we'll pay you 20 bucks an hour and you work 20 hours and you get $400, that's your recompense. And so we will be recompensed for our deeds, our work, our service in the body, what we've done for Christ. Romans 14.10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. An account of himself to God. So accounting assumes reward and consequence. Uh, it's not just you bad boy uh, or you good boy, though praise is obviously part of it, there will be reward and consequence or loss of reward uh, at that accounting. 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work, work, that's work, will become evident the day, the day we stand before Jesus will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, quality in the sense of temporal or eternal if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. A reward if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, yet he himself will be saved yet so as through fire because we're saved by faith, not by works, but you get to heaven with nothing to show for it, smelling like smoke as it were. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, the reward of the inheritance that is the Lord Christ whom you serve, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So part of the judgment is consequence, and part of the judgment is reward. I, uh, regularly studying this, will, and I don't know uh, how it'll go when we first get into heaven in our conversation with Jesus, whether we're going to even think about some of the things we think that we'll say to him when we get there. And so I'm just going to say, you know, Lord, I would have been a little bit more motivated, I think, if I had known more detail. Just exactly what is the reward? Just exactly what is the consequence? It just bugs me that I don't know more answers to that. But I think, okay, I guess you're God and I'm just a 
person, and I don't know, but boy, oh boy, I wish I knew exactly what I was. It's, I remember sneaking into the uh, Christmas boxes when I was a kid when mom and dad were going to be gone and they said we'll be back in a couple of hours and I thought my chance is here and I was pretty sure I could open them and rewrap them and nobody would be able to tell but I couldn't stand not knowing what was in those boxes that was under that tree and uh, I don't know how mom did it but she could tell <laughs> and I got in big trouble and then I remember the same thing happened with our kids. And the fact they tell stories about searching the house and finding the presents. We wouldn't put them on the tree. We'd hide them somewhere where they couldn't find them, but they'd find them. Uh, I think that's sort of the way we are. I don't want to wait till Christmas to look and see what's in the box. And I don't want to wait till heaven to find out what the reward is. But it's evidently uh, pretty good because it's intended to motivate. So I imagine what they are, and I imagine it's off the scale, both the positive and the negative aspect of it. The goal of God, of God in judgment is to create a holy fear that motivates us to pursue godliness and character and eternal fruit in our labor. So judgment is to create a holy fear that motivates us. Motivate. Highly motivated people, people that have very little motivation, and the biggest difference is what they have their minds set on pursuing. Hebrews 4, 1, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. 1 Peter 1, 17, If you address his Father, the one who impartially judges, impartially judges, that's the judgment seat of Christ, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom, we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. Uh, assuming that we have that level of awe and fear of him, of that day of judgment, so that we're highly motivated to live our life sacrificially, serving him. Peter said, Jesus, we've left our farms, we've left our fishing business, we've left our families. And he said, nobody leaves anything, gives up anything that they don't receive it back in the day of judgment a hundredfold. A hundredfold is probably a statement of really, really big, a lot. And he goes on and says, you don't even give a glass, a, little, a glass of water to a child in the name of Jesus as a disciple of Christ that you don't receive it back at the judgment seat of Christ. And so that day is intended to be a day that motivates us every single day we get out of bed to live for him, to live with a level of sacrifice, a level of commitment, a level of urgency in the sense of um, we are rewarded for the works that we've done. One work, ten. And so uh, Paul said, I'd like to go to heaven, but if I stay behind, it means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor for me. That is, I get to do more that will show up at the judgment seat of Christ and will result in more eternal rewards. 
And so I mentioned Sunday that I'm searching for a higher gear. I'd like to ramp it up a bit in my life in the sense of what I do and how much I do because, uh, man, it's just like the finish line, just over the corner, just over the bend, and then I'm, it's, I'm it's all over. The race is finished. And so I, I'd really like to get more than I have now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you. We pray that you would help us to think about, set our mind on the things above, imagine what the rewards are, what the loss of rewards would mean. And uh, Lord, we would recognize that every sacrifice we make, all the time we give, uh, the teaching we do, the service we give, the help we render, the money we give, Lord, all of it is waiting for us the day we step into glory at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, we will be rewarded a hundredfold for anything we've done for you in this life. I pray that we would be those who set our mind on the future, on the day that you're returning, and on not on the stuff here uh, that won't last. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.